For years, I did not speak my truth. For years. It wasn't until my late 50s, early 60s that I began tentatively speaking my truth. And why is that? Why is that? Because I felt insignificant. Who am I, you know, to say this? Who am I in, uh, in relation with this person who is so powerful? You know, what does my voice matter? Well, my voice does matter. Everybody's voice matters. Hello and welcome to Her Entrepreneurial Spirit. I'm your host, Monique Glover. This is a place for spiritual entrepreneurs to connect and share their voices. Join me as I talk with women who are harnessing the power of intuition, creativity, and trust in order to build authentic and purpose-driven businesses. It's time to lean into your own light as you let these stories encourage you to explore the unlimited potential of your entrepreneurial spirit. My guest today is Helena St. James. As an entrepreneur, she teaches others how to step into the power of their voice. She believes you have the power to make a difference in your life and the lives of others if you trust and believe in yourself. That power is quite simply your voice, your ability to communicate. When she's not speaking and telling stories, you'll find her gardening, ballroom dancing, or eating chocolate. Helena is such a vibrant woman and has grown to be an amazing friend of mine. And she has personally encouraged and mentored me in expressing my authentic voice when I was very resistant to speaking up. So she she holds a very special space in my heart for that. Welcome, Helena. Thank you. I am honored, Monique. Absolutely honored. So tell us, Helena, how, how did you start an entrepreneurship? Were you always an entrepreneur or was it something you knew you wanted to do? It was something that I did not want to do initially. I started it late in life. I'm a late bloomer, so I didn't become an entrepreneur until sometimes in my 50s. And I don't even know exactly when it was. But up until that time, I had various jobs. I was a teacher of English as a second language at the University of British Columbia. And from there, I morphed into the longest career path, apart from the one that I'm on now as an entrepreneur, but the longest one at that time was at the CBC. So I was a television news producer for the CBC, specifically for the national news um, for about 25 years. And then, and I went to CTV as well. So I did that and that, and that was my dream. So how did it happen? you know, to become an entrepreneur. Like, I never thought of it. I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. But things change. And and there was a point sometimes in my 50s and I thought, oh, I don't want to be chasing stories anymore. Oh, I want a life. I don't want to be at the beck and call of the world and whatever new story was breaking out here, there, and everywhere. And I covered a, 
a lot of really good stories in my life. I, I've covered war zones, revolutions, you know, national election campaigns. Uh, I've met kings, queens, saints, uh, presidents, prime ministers, of course, everything. So why was, it gonna, was I going to leave this world? Well, it's a very, very demanding world. And it's a very demanding world for an older body, you know, physically. Like you have no life. Truly, you at that level, you have no life. And so we were living, my husband and I were living in Nova Scotia. And I was working as, at that time, the senior producer for the CBC News Network morning show. So that meant getting up at four o'clock in the morning, not my idea of a dream job, but, you know, I did it. And I was just, I was not happy. And one day I was walking along the ocean, not a beach, but along the road that runs along the ocean in my, uh, in my community. I live outside of Halifax. And I was thinking, what do I want to do? What do I really, really want to do? And the answer was, I don't want to do this anymore. And you know what's really interesting, Monique? Mm. When I made that decision, that was exactly the time that the CBC made me another offer. For In my 25 years of working for the CBC, I was always a contract producer, which meant that I didn't have any benefits. But instead of benefits, they paid me an extra 12%. So I didn't have uh, health care, a pension, all of this stuff. So at this point in my life, the CBC said, if you work for another, I can't remember, five, 10 years and top up your pension, we will give you full benefits. And, and if you put into your pension plan, you'll have a full pension. So I thought, Oh my, oh my God. Be tested. I know, I mean, you're right. I was being tested. The decision suddenly became so much more difficult in one respect. The money looked good. The, uh, you know, the pension plan. And and you know what? Today, uh, there are times I regret, sometimes I regret it. But at that point, I thought, I can't do this anymore. I cannot go in every single day and slog and do this slog. I cannot do it. Even if there's a wonderful pension plan at the end, I'm going to trust that something will happen and that I will survive. I will be able to make it. And so I gradually extracted myself from the CBC. They hired me back as a consultant, as a, uh, presentation skills coach and and then very gradually I left them physically leaving emotionally not being able to identify as hello I'm Helena St. James I'm the producer for the CBC National News who do you think you are <laughs> you know Having the clout of the CBC behind me, wow, that was hard. And for about 10 years after that, I don't know, 10, 12 years after that, every time I would go somewhere, networking, whatever, and somebody would say, so what do you do? 
I would always begin, Monique, well, I used to work for the CBC. I used to work. I used to work. So I was always identifying with, you know, the, the, the producer that had the power. And it took me a long time to wake up to the fact that, no, I didn't have the power. The CBC had power over me. And because I worked in, in places where I rubbed shoulders with people in power, like I worked in Ottawa for four years, I went to war zones. I, you know, I, I, I was alone for a minute with Queen Elizabeth, my God. I, you know, I sat at the knee of uh, uh, Mother Teresa. I screamed at Pope uh, Paul, uh, Jean-Paul uh, II and got him to come to me. I, you know, I had all of this power, but it wasn't me. It was it was rubbing shoulder. I it was a delusion. And uh, yeah, uh, what a delusion! Illusion, a delusion. Yeah, it was a delusion. So that took a long time. Isn't it funny how something so seamlessly small, like your title? It can mean so much. I've talked to so many entrepreneurs who really struggle with giving themselves a title, or maybe they came from a past corporate world. And it's like this feeling that you need that title to be valid, to be a valid business person. You need a title and you're only allowed one title. You can't be two different things, especially two different things that seemingly don't go together at all. And often people leave that out or they just over, you know, over generalize and or say, I'm a consultant. That there's something really tied into your identity with that title. And I don't know if it's because everyone does start those conversations when you're networking or meeting something, someone new. What what do you do? I don't know what I do. That doesn't sound very confident. <laughs> no, no, that is. And that's always a starting point. So because we have so many conversations like that, we identify with that title and we think we are that title and we are so much more that title uh monique the podcaster the web designer the artist there's so much more to monique she's a mother she's a, a, an organizer in her community she's a helper she's a great friend there's so much more i would love to go to a networking session where, where somebody would say so what do you believe in what makes you tick instead of, so what do you do? But that conversation hasn't happened. So we follow the rules, I guess, to a certain extent. Maybe we're moving and in that direction. Maybe moving in that direction. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Moving in that direction. But, you know, in the meantime, uh, you have to do the work on yourself to find out who you really are. And it took me a long time to figure out who I was, what I brought to the table. And I didn't do that immediately after I left the CBC, after I left broadcasting. It took a while. It took, it took many years. And then, and then I thought, okay, fine, I'm done with, I'm done with being an entrepreneur. And then things changed again. But I, I just want to say, when I fully began being an entrepreneur, when I fully left broadcasting, I 
went, oh my God, why haven't I done this before? This is me. You know, I control my life. I control everything to a certain extent. But, you know, you are, you are not the doer, you know, there's a, there's a whole bit about surrendering, but it was so freeing. It was totally freeing. And for years after that, for about 22 years, I ran around the world, this time with less television gear than I had before. <laughs> and I taught leaders, executives, broadcasters, people, anyone who wanted to hire me, I taught them how to speak the power of words. And that was that was really exciting. And that was a good transition. Because it, the way life the way life goes in my uh, mind is you you start revving up a little bit between your 50s and your 60s and then kind of later on in your 60s you start uh, you start slowing down a little bit as, as you become hopefully smarter. <laughs> sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, you know. Sometimes you don't want to, you don't, you just, you have so much you want to do and give to the world that it, you don't have time to sit on the beach. You have stuff, you have stuff you want to accomplish. <laughs> Though the beach is nice too. <laughs> It would be nice to accomplish it all too. Uh, but I always say that my next, uh, I've written some books. I've written uh, four uh, nonfiction books. I've, and I think the title of my first fiction book is, oh, I just, I just lost it. Uh, I'm too busy to die. <laughs> I I'm too busy to die. And, 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 and let's just tell our listeners right now, Monique, let's. I'm going to disclose. I'm 73 years old. Okay, so this is this is the platform that I'm on right now. I'm definitely on uh, not the growing, building part of my life. It's, it, but it's neat. But it's not a slowing down. I refuse to slow down, and I tell women I'm 73 years old, and they go, "What?" Because if you were to see me. No one, no one would ever guess that you are 73 years old. <laughs> exactly. So, so I want to be that example of someone who has aged well and loves life and loves learning about life and loves going on the path of life and trying to be awake. And every day is a blessing and a journey. Every day when I'm like six feet above the grass or <laughs> above the grass or not, not six feet below the grass is, is a blessing. So I just want people, you know, to know that. Now, this is not to say that it's all hunky-dory and I'm just, you know, the, the greatest and I have all the answers to every solution. No, I don't. I am like everybody else. I am struggling at times, uh, happy, deliriously joyful at times, depressed at times. But I find those down times are less. But they are there. 
And I don't want to sound like I'm preaching. The one thing I've learned for sure is that the first noble truth of the Buddha really is the truth. And the first noble truth of the Buddha is something like this. Life's a bitch. <laughs> you know, life is hard. Life is hard. You know, you, you know, like, ain't nobody nowhere going to give you every anything, you know, so unless you're born into a lot of money or whatever. But we, we struggle with all kinds of things, not necessarily money, with uh, our emotions, you know, our hearts, whatever. It's always a struggle. So you live day by day by day with joy and try to put that struggle in the context of everything else because we try sometimes we we beat ourselves up too much mm. yeah. o- often i think we we treat ourselves so poorly compared to everyone else in our lives that i remember reading something about if if you treated your friend the same way you treat yourself, w- would that person want to be friends <laughs> with you? That we, you're just, you, it's a, it's a growth uh, experience in itself to learn how to love yourself in that way and not be so hard and beat yourself up over every tiny thing. It starts, I think, with, uh, with understanding, understanding, you know, who you are. And that, just, and that means doing the work without a doubt doing the work and training yourself, I think to, to put yourself in other people's shoes. And the first person that you should do that with is a member of your family, because that's, I don't know who hasn't had mother issues. And who hasn't had, you know, trouble with their partners. So, and especially if you've been married for a long time, you know, we're going on 30 years now, Neil and I. So I really, really try. And I hope he's not listening to this, but I do. Really no, give try. me, give me the secrets too. <laughs> to happy marriage. I look at him and I put myself in his shoes. How would I feel listening to me saying this or doing this? How would I as Neil feel? And that really makes me stop and think so that then then I'm more, what's the word? I take his feelings into account. I'm more empathetic. That's the word. I'm more empathetic. And, and I'm, I'm kinder. We have to be kind to each other, you know. And I wasn't, I'll tell you, Monique, I wasn't kind to my mother. You know, and now I have guilt. She's, you know, she died, but I made my peace with her when she died. But um, I wasn't, I wasn't a kind daughter, and and I did a lot of work with therapists to get rid of that guilt because it's never a one way street. Never, never, never. Some no, you know what, Monique? It's it's not even um, it's not even a two way street. It's a three way street. It's you. It's the partner, and it's the universe. <laughs> you know, and all the interference there. 
Yes. And what you're meant to learn for from those people. I firmly believe that you are put with certain people that you have the partners, you have the children that you have in your life. You have the parents that you choose the parents that you are born into to teach you something, to teach them something that there's, there's a point to all of it. And it's not always easy. It's not, it's a lot easier being with someone who thinks exactly like you, but that it's also very boring. (laughs) And there is no growth (laughs) in that either. No, there isn't. And it's, uh, it's really hard. And we live in a world now with social, social media, where we are all in our little, little bubbles of likeness, you know, uh, we're, on Facebook groups us all together, you know, in uh, uh, Instagram, whatever. We're all grouped together and we get this, we, you know, the ones that we have the same likes, the same dislikes. And so they feed us all the stuff that will appeal to us. So there's no real critical thinking going on. And people, and that's why I think people buy into um, whatever they're told either on Facebook or on some legitimate media or old media. It's not necessarily legitimate media, you know, newspapers, television, news and stuff like that. They'll buy into that without actually thinking for themselves. So I I find this is really more distressing than anything is that people don't think. And also our world has speeded up exponentially like I don't know where the time is going I thought okay COVID yay I have to wear a mask social distance you know stay at home not go to Costco fine but I've got time no I don't I'm busier than I've ever been you know it's it's, so we're so busy we don't have time to do that critical thinking we go from one thing to another to another And I don't have any big answers, but I try to manage myself. I try to manage my footprint on this earth. I try to make myself a better person. I try to fix myself before I fix everybody else, before I fix the world. And you know what? That is so hard because I want to fix the world. Because I think, I know everything. Come on, listen to me. (laughs) I feel that. I I am very much a helper by birth. (laughs) I was born to be this person that helps and gives every bit of myself away before I give it to me. And... Um, you learn very quickly that it's not sustainable or not learn quickly. You just keep doing it and burning out and recovering and burning out <laughs> again and until the universe smacks you upside the head and <laughs> makes you <laughs> think about it for a moment. But we are, especially in North America, we are just so toxically busy that I think there's a big fear of what happens when we're not busy. I know at least for me for a long time. Okay, talk about COVID, right? Let, let's talk about COVID. Like what's going to happen if I slow down and I do nothing? There's this fear of, well, you're going to dig into some deep stuff. <laughs> you're going to be alone with yourself. And 
it, that's hard and messy and you don't want to go there. It's like, oh, let's go to this dark corner here with no light. <laughs> no, your body's screaming at you. Don't, don't go into that dark corner. <laughs> and so you just busy yourself with things that don't have meaning. And like you said, you were, you're waking up at 4am. You're working. I don't even know what your hours would have looked like at that day. I'm sure at least 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> or oh, more. Well, it, yeah. it, is, it, it never ends. But you're, you're, you're making a really good point. Uh, uh, why we're so busy, why we have to do so many things. Uh, there's a there's a book that was written by um, a professor in communications, Neil Postman. And the book is called Amusing, Amusing Ourselves to Death. And that's what we do is we as human beings, we amuse ourselves with all kinds of things, with work, with games, with movies, with theater, with whatever, because we never want to sit alone with ourselves. And I was very fortunate in that my first guru was silent. And I met him in my early 20s when I was living in Vancouver. And he was living at that time in California. This was this was in the 1970s, so it was all you know, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. You know, it was like the hippy dippy <laughs> time. It was it was marvelous. And Vancouver at that time was not the big glistening pan Asian city it is now. It was uh, Birkenstocks and rice bowls <laughs> and all of that. But my teacher, Baba Haridas, was a monk, an Indian monk, who took the vow of silence. And so his vocal cords shrank. So when we were before Babaji, we could ask a question, he'd listen, and then he would write on the chalkboard, on a chalkboard. He always had a chalkboard. And then he'd show the chalkboard to somebody, uh, a disciple, somebody who was looking, at, uh, looking after him or with him, and they would read the answer. And then you would listen and you would ask the next question. There'd be silence. Babaji would write. So it was those moments of silence, of sitting with your, of, of, of waiting, of not jumping in, that were so powerful. And also, the, of course, meditation is powerful. It's the ability to, you know, pardon my English here, put your ass on the cushion you know, <laughs> and do the work and be with yourself, with your breath, with your heart, with your mantra, whatever, with your focus, whatever kind of meditation you do, it's, it's uh, good. And I once asked Babaji, uh, at a yoga retreat, I asked him, I said, is meditation a trick for the mind to quiet the mind? And he said, yes. Because our minds are busy, busy little beavers. You know, they're just going all the time. You know, I got to do this. You know, we don't focus. We have monkey mind, monkey mind, monkey mind all of the time. And it's and it's sometimes even even at sleep, you know, the, the dreams are powerful and vivid, or you vivid, or you can't even get to sleep. 
because of the monkey mind and the busyness of our world and all the things we have. We have lost the power to be alone. We have to turn the radio on. We have to listen to our podcasts. Listen to this one. This is a good one, though. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying don't listen to it. (laughs) No, but there's no, it's very rarely that you have absolute silence. Walk in the woods, be alone. People walk in the woods. What do they do? They put in their earbuds and they listen to music. You know, don't even get me started on, on like reading your phone nonstop. Okay? Oh, <laughs> you know? I know. I remember reading a writer talking about that and how we're essentially killing our creativity because we are no longer observing the world around us. That we're to this point that we cannot stand not being busied that every, you know, you're in a lineup in the grocery store, you're meeting a friend for coffee. And while you're waiting for them, you have to pull out that phone and check your email, play a game that you don't even just sit and look around you, listen to things that are going around you, get hit by that inspiration or tune into your intuition. Your intuition cannot talk to you because... It's like trying to scream over all of the loudness that's going on. For sure. For sure. It is. It's uh, and, and this is, I think this is one of the gifts of COVID. If you could say COVID has a gift, it's a pretty terrible thing and a pretty terrible way to get this. But, you know, if we have to suck some goodness out of it, I think it has realigned to some extent our um, values you know, family, we don't need to buy all these things, we don't need, you know, to do all of these things. Uh, the world is going to change after we're all, you know, vaccinated after, the, after it's clear and safe for us to start gathering again. I think we're going to gather in a different way. And I don't know how that's going to be. But we're in the age of Aquarius now. So I'm very hopeful and optimistic, really, that we are going to be kinder to each other. And we will have learned lessons that we will pass on to our children who will then continue the journey of man and woman on this planet and not not raping the planet and 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 being in harmony with what is with what our gifts are in this, in this beautiful beautiful earth and i think if anything that we did learn that lesson i mean so many of us still carry that lesson as things are kind of changing again post covid you know especially where we are in nova scotia things are we're lucky that things are not as tight here but I think some people will will forget and kind of get sucked back into your routine. And some people might forget some days, but get pulled back and try to balance. But I think there was there's definitely profound changes when all the control that you thought you had is stripped from you. And you were re- so many of us were forced to 
to face ourselves, even in a crowded home with children and relatives. It's you were forced to work together in ways that you hadn't before and understand each other and bringing that global community spirit together that we're all in this together started that everyone started to realize, well, it doesn't matter your age or your race or your gender that COVID could care less about those things. And in order to, to do something about it, we had to work together that we couldn't just be individuals doing things that are in our best interest if we were going to get through it. Absolutely. Um, I really believe that. And I, and I heard uh, many people speaking about this right now, about the the age of Aquarius that we're going into Mm. and that. A new moon tonight. Did you know, as we're recording this tonight is new moon in Aquarius. I know. Yes. (laughs) All together now. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. (laughs) No, but this is, this and and what, what's, what is, uh, going to be prevalent in in this time is people like you, Monique, the people who are, you know, teaching us again, because we, you know, are reteaching us our intuition, our intuitive self, people who are dealing with self-help, with uh, health. This is what's going to preoccupy us now. We have given over to the money aspect so, you know, earning money, uh, doing things from the left brain, which is the logical, systematic part. Nothing wrong with it, but create the creative right brain needs to have a say in here. And when you get the two t- brains together, that's the golden brain. And that's what really moves society forward because they work together. So, so it's women having equal voice with men, uh, no systemic racism, treating our people of color, black people and indigenous people the same as everybody else. It's when, I think we are on that path. I am, a, you know, I'm, I'm a Pollyanna. I don't know how it's gonna work out, but I am optimistic that it will. And that you and this podcast and people who are doing similar podcasts uh, are showing us the way because this is important. The intuition, this is important, Monique. You're doing good work. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> because there's not all, I think it's easy to talk about that and be that optimist, like you said. But just because we can talk and be optimistic about things right now doesn't mean that you don't have your dark days and you have days where you're not trusting and you're not cursing at the universe for why are you throwing this at me that it's part of that process of trusting and trusting your intuition is letting, letting go of a lot of things, letting go of your attachments and your judgments. And um, that's, that's very, very challenging to do. It is. And, and I said that uh, a little bit earlier, you know, I have days when I feel, uh, very human, like you know, I want to 
I want to slap my husband silly. I want to you know, throw a fire <laughs> around the kitchen. I'm pissed off or I'm jealous. And, you know, I go through all the human emotions because, because I am human. But that doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mean that I can't do the work and that I do steps gradually. And with the meditation, with everything, you know, I kind of iron out all that, that stuff. Not entirely. It's going to come up. And then you have a choice. You can, you know, give into it or you can do something about it. And most times, not all times, most times I do something about it. And you just hit something else that was really important, surrendering. The whole notion of surrender, uh, we are not the doers. I really believe that. But we, we can control the choices we make you know, but the choices are offered up. But if we flow uh, with, I don't know if I'm saying this right, if, if something is presented toward, uh, to us and we flow with that, there's an intuitively, it feels like the right thing and then we flow with it, uh, we will make the right decisions because then we are kind of, we are in balance with the, the universe, the harmony, harmony of the of the universe. We're energetically we're operating at that same energy level. But when we bucket, we tend to get into trouble. But mind you, a lot of people don't. There are a lot of people who, uh, you know, do a lot of bad things and seem to get away with it. It's it's all life, <laughs> you know. It's 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 life. It's a it's a smorgasbord, and you look at the table and you pick something, and your intuition says, "No, nah, put that down. That's not so good for you." Pick this one. <laughs> you know, this one's going to be a little bit better. So it's uh, it's just living and learning, and always what gets us through everything is, in my mind, our voices talking to each other telling each other our stories and inspiring each other with our stories. Maybe it'll only last for, you know, 10 minutes after they've heard you, after you've spoken and, you know, you, you'll have this inspiring, we'll have this inspiring conversation and I'll go back uh, and I'll see that uh, my husband has done something and I'm, I'm gonna get really <laughs> want to slap him all over again. <laughs> you know so but i'm going to say no wait a minute i'm going to i'm going to keep that feeling of the conversation that we just had so it's choices it's managing those choices it's moving step by step into kindness into yourself who are you who monique who are you (laughs) alina who are you I don't know, person? right? You can tell, you know, about your yeah. spouse, your kids, your best friends. Like, oh, yeah, I can come up with a bunch of different words to describe you. But when it's describing yourself, it's it becomes uncomfortable. You're like, ooh, I don't want to do that. Or I don't want to be braggy, right? It's, uh, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I like to be braggy about, you know, all the, the, the good stuff, but it's the it's the other stuff. It's the... I really am jealous of someone and she drives me crazy because 
I don't have what she has. And I don't, I want it. I want it. So there's that. And I'm a helper. So I'm, and I know best. I'm going to tell you exactly what you should do. You know, I, I keep doing that. That's not, that's not a good thing, Helena. Do you have siblings? No. I'm curious where you are because the way you sound, I'm an oldest child. And I think, oh my gosh, you sound exactly like an oldest child. I'm also married to an oldest child who, you know, you're top of the ladder. You, you tell the other ones what to do because you've got it down perfectly. <laughs> well, I'm I'm an only child, but I think I would qualify as an as the oldest child because my parents, my mother and my stepfather were my karmic responsibility. And as a little girl, I was responsible for them. I learned that at the age of uh, at the age of 10. I was responsible for my parents. And I didn't know anything, you know, but that that was a heavy burden. But but that that set me up for a lot of other things uh, in life. But it's uh, it's true, and I'm married. I'm married to an only child as well. So <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> there are a lot of people now um, who are in their forties, fifties, who are considered the sandwich generation. They have children that are still at home, and they've got aging parents who, uh, and some of them with dementia. Like that is a hard life. I've had three parents with dementia. And let me tell you, it's not pretty being responsible for them and living your, your, you know, your life, which is why, you know, as a woman, I felt I was superwoman. I could, I could do anything. And I just could manage this, manage that. And I, I wasn't particularly kind, as I said earlier to my mother, but I made sure she was, you know, physically comfortable she had nothing to worry about uh, especially after my stepfather died and and I just kept on this role of running around the world training people and then going to my parents lived in uh, in Ontario going to Ontario to see them and then coming back here and then running around the world and then I, I traveled so much I was on super elite with Air Canada and when I got home my 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 joke was when I, when I got home, I would pick up the phone and dial nine for an outside line, you know, at home. But then the universe, God, the goddess, whomever you want to call it, stepped in and said, eh, eh, tap me on the shoulder. And on December the 27th, 2012, I had a stroke. So what happened was... I could only say yom, word, yom, yom, yom. That's the only thing I could say. I could think, you know, I'm talking to Monique, we're doing a podcast, but all I could say was yom, yom. What color is your shirt? Yom. You know, I went to the hospital, of course, and the Doctor pulls out a pen and he said, "What's this?" Yum. How are you feeling? Yum. <laughs> so when the neurologist uh, came, they said that my stroke—these are his words. I'm quoting: "exquisitely 
centered on uh, exquisitely targeted the speech center of my left brain, which meant not only could I not speak and say, and only say yum, yum, I couldn't read and I couldn't write because I found that out when, you know, because the, the left side of your brain controls the right side of your body and I'm right-handed. So when I put the paper in my, uh, the pen and paper in my hand, I could not write. And uh, they gave me a book. It was, ayam. <laughs> I couldn't do anything. So it took a year. I was very fortunate. My speech started to come back uh, almost uh, two days later. So I was able to wow. speak. This is what you built your life? I know, and I'm, and I'm a speaking coach. I mean, like I teach people how to, how to make speeches and make presentations, you know, and be and be powerful with their words. And I couldn't talking about synchronicities in the world, and this is your life, and it so exquisitely targets one section that how can that possibly be a mere coincidence? It, it was so. It taught me. It taught me. You know, it taught me to slow down. Um, my, as I said, my speech was starting, it started to come back pretty quickly, but still I had to enhance it. I did, I did all kinds of exercises. I read out loud. I did cursive writing. I sang my ABCs, you know, and I would get stuck in A, B, C, D, E, F, G, G, uh, G H I J K L M N O. You know, and I, you know, it was a struggle. And eventually, I got through the whole alphabet and the cursive writing. And I read out loud. I read out loud because the I knew I read. Uh, I was reading books on the brain, and I knew the brain was plastic, and it would knit itself together. So, so I'm speaking. You can hear me speak now. I am still not. 100%. I would consider myself 99%. And the way, and I, my reading is fine. My writing, my spelling is terrible. Thank God for spell check and for my husband, who's an editor. But my in my, in my speaking, when my brain knitted itself together, it knitted itself so that the words that I tend to use now are more sophisticated. I, you know, for example, my husband and I are driving one day and it's raining and it's dark and cloudy and we're driving. And I look at him and I say, oh, God is dreary out. (laughs) 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 Dreary? He's British, as you know. That sounds very British. (laughs) Dreary? Dreary? I say, it's dreary. I said, that's not germane to this conversation. Oh, germane, germane to that conversation. (laughs) Anyways, regardless of the words that I use, I am grateful that I can speak. But here's the lesson. You know, I was tapped on the shoulder and and, and the lesson was, Alina, you are not superwoman. Mm. The busyness has to stop. And it did for a while. 
to the point where you're trapped and you're you can't even you are trapped in your mind with no way to communicate to anyone else mm-hmm. what the I couldn't even what was that do you remember what that experience was like for that couple of days before you could even speak knowing you could think but you couldn't tell other people I was frustrated I was first of all I you know, was frustrated with them. Like, come on, can't you understand? It's me. (laughs) (laughs) It's your job. (laughs) Yeah, it's your job. Come on there. And then I was frustrated with myself. You can do it, Alina. You can do it. And I was just like willing myself to do it, but the brain was not ready. So I didn't do it. So I couldn't do it. So it was just, it was a massive frustration. And then determination. Okay, fine. I am going to beat this. That's the way you want to play God. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to fix myself. <laughs> so I did. So, so I fixed myself. I didn't fix myself that well because I still went into the busy mode, not as busy, you know, but because of the, the the you know God bless them. My 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 three parents, my mother, my stepfather, my mother-in-law died, so that freed up a lot of time. But I was still I still got busy, and then COVID hit, and you know what? I was happy. I was happy in my little bubble. Personally, I could cope with this, and I am grateful. Don't get me wrong. I am so grateful. I know people who you know who suffered with COVID because they are locked into a one bedroom apartment or, you know, or they're homeless or whatever. This is, this is terrible. I am grateful that I have enough room that we, my husband and I don't get in each other's way. And then I could say, okay, I can calm down now. I can stop and just be who I am for a while. I was scared. You know, I was scared like everybody else. Am I going to get it? I'm 73. I've got a heart condition. You know, oh my God, I've had a stroke. I'm not exactly, a, you know, uh, a person that that would fight COVID if I managed to get it. And also, I was scared. Like, where's the money going to come from? You know, we you know, were thinking about that as well. We have pensions. We have little little bits and pensions here, there, and everywhere. I do not have a CBC pension. <laughs> I made sure of that. But we, you know, we have we have enough pensions. We can afford this, but we couldn't afford anything else. So I so I made a choice. Okay, I'm going to retire. I'm not going to do anything. I'll just see what 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 happens with my website, and then. I pivoted. (laughs) Tell me about that. Tell me about what you were doing when you first stepped away from the CBC and you first jumped into entrepreneurship versus how things changed during COVID when you thought you were going to retire. (laughs) And you didn't, obviously. (laughs) I didn't, no. Uh, and and I'm, that's that's going to be my lot in life. I'm never going to retire. When I left the CBC, I developed a technique called Talk It Out, which releases your authentic voice and is very, very easy to learn. Very, very, very simple. I tried it out on cynical broadcasters around the world 
And they went to it like a duck to water. You know, they said this was the greatest thing that they have ever learned. And so then I took it to the corporate world. And it was perfect for the corporate world because executives and government officials and, and political leaders, you know, nobody has the time. So this was a technique that let them speak conversationally, let them be who they were quickly. So I did that. I worked with a, a PR company training a lot of their uh, uh, big clients, and I was doing very well. And then I was traveling around the world with this. I, I lived uh, a lot uh, in Singapore, went to Singapore a lot. And then when 9-11 happened, uh, the business Nobody wanted to hire broadcasters anymore, but I was starting to get more into business in North America. So the business was still good. It was still viable. And my husband was, uh, was working for Global Television News at that point. So it was good. And he eventually stopped working for the Global and he came over to my company. And so we were having a mom and pop consultancy, which we're very proud of, quality, not quantity. He was doing media training and I was doing presentation skills, which I loved. I loved transforming people and just watching how, how they blossomed almost immediately in front of my eyes with this technique. I wrote, as I mentioned before, I wrote uh, six books on the technique now. And so... My husband, after years of doing podium media and communications coaching, we decided uh, to slow down. He decided to retire. I decided to slow down. COVID hits, and I'm thinking, okay, time for me to retire. So that's it. So in April of last year, I got an email from the Atlantic Canada president of the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. And I'm a member of the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers, CAPS. So I got an email from her saying, you know, everything was happening by Zoom at that point. That, uh, and the email was, I need some help. We're doing a call in, in a week or two, and I need someone to moderate the call, to host the call, and to interview the people on the call. Can you do it? And I said, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> Isn't it how it happens, these things? So I get on the call, I do my homework, and all of a sudden, a whole new world opens up to me. The world of the virt of virtual space. I become a Zoom C. A Zoom C is uh, MC on Zoom. So I become the moderator, the Zoom C for all our CAPS meetings, CAPS Atlantic meetings. And because it's, it's uh, virtual, I'm learning all about virtual and I'm looking at my courses and then I decide, okay, this is not going away. COVID is not going, going away in a year or six months at that time, it was April of 2020, it's not going away. 
So I decided to investigate and I pivoted my business to virtual, to teaching people how to be their best virtually, how to make presentations, do their PowerPoint slides, do their keynotes in the virtual world. What skills do they need? And at the same time, I started giving speeches. I'm doing a speech uh, next month of virtually. So I'm and I'm still Zoom seeing <laughs> doing all of that. Uh, and I love the virtual world because for me, I don't have to lug gear and go anywhere in person or take a plane because that was my life for almost 40 years, whether it was, you know, in broadcasting or in, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, I was traveling, traveling, traveling all the time. So now I go upstairs, <clears throat> I comb my hair, I put a little powder on, I put some lipstick on, I put a nice shirt on. And I schlep downstairs to my office. I turn on my lights. I turn on the microphone and, and I do my thing. You don't even need pants. I find that the online work. You don't even just the bottom up and you're ready to go in your slippers. And I love it. So, so we'll see how, how this goes. But this brings me back to the, to the, my perennial problem, which is the work-life balance. So how much do I do? So I want to put things online so that it's accessible to people because this technique really works. And I've got proof of it. I've got before and after videos of clients who've uh, let me use, use their uh, private training session. And I can say I've been on stage with you and within a matter I, I've, always despised public speaking <laughs> and within five minutes of being up in front of a group of people with you it's that confidence it's yeah. it's magic I would have never thought at that time that I would be doing a podcast either if you asked me a year ago I, I had a friend and she's highly intuitive and she'll be a guest later <laughs> episodes as well and I remember she told me, I have a feeling you're going to start a podcast. And I thought, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, you're crazy. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm not going in front of people. I'm not sharing even my voice. But part of that experience with you, it's very empowering when you can speak your truth in that way. Absolutely. 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 And I know uh, because for years, I did not speak my truth. For years. It wasn't until my late 50s, early 60s that I began tentatively speaking my truth. And why is that? Why is that? Because I felt insignificant. Who am I, you know, to say this? Who am I in, uh, in relation with this person who is so powerful? You know, what does my voice matter? Well, my voice does matter. Everybody's voice matters. And that's when I finally got through in my own head. And also being older helps because I ain't got nothing to lose, honey. You know, at this point of the game, all I can do is be who I am with honesty, 
with enthusiasm until the day I die. Which is not going to be soon, I hope, because I'm too busy. <laughs> <laughs> you have too many things you have to do. Is that funny how in life you just you just want to fit in and you want to just be like everyone else and something turns around where you start to realize that your uniqueness is is what sets you apart is that specialness is what puts you in your journey um but it takes takes a long time to get there it maybe does. it's little bits, right? Maybe little bits here or there, but then you get intimidated or a situation makes you feel insignificant in that way. And it's a lot easier just to blend in with everyone else. <laughs> it is a lot easier. But, you know, I found now at this stage in my life, if you speak your truth, if you get used to speaking your truth, that will help you be who you are with consciousness, with awake, with wakefulness, so that you do not do harm to other people, so that you do not harm, do no harm to the earth, so that you walk this path with clarity, kindness, and humanity for everybody. And I think that's where we're going in this age of Aquarius. Mm, that's using your voice in a way that's it's very powerful. It's not like you're shouting at everyone. You are, by you using your authentic voice, you're also empowering everyone else around you to do the same and to listen to them too, to become that attentive listener. You can't just be shouting to people, shouting at each other. That's not how a conversation <laughs> works. No. It, it isn't so it's it's the part the conversation and, and the very fact that we can speak is unique in, in terms of all the the animals the mammals of this world you know birds sings dolphins have their language you know whatever you know other animals have but we have the most sophisticated language mm -hmm. and storytelling I know you touched briefly on storytelling and the importance of storytelling in, yeah. in um, humans and no one else tells stories in that way either. No, nobody else tells stories. Um, I just finished reading a book called Sapiens and it's Yer Yerval Harari. I think that, that that's the name of the author. It's a three-part name. I didn't get the uh, the second one. But sapiens is all about the evolution of homo sapiens. And we are part of the homo sapiens race. We are the only human beings that survived because there was homo erectus, there was homo neanderthal, there, was, there, were, there were about six or seven human species. Homo means human. Sapien means wise. So there are about six or seven human species. And Homo Neanderthal was much bigger than us, had a bigger brain than us. Why didn't they survive? Why did we, Homo sapiens, survive? So this is what the, this book tells that story. And it's, a, and it's a graphic novel, which means it's a 
comic book for adults. Yay. <laughs> and what he says is, is that it's the, it's because we told stories. We told stories that people bought into. And when people collectively buy into a story, then they can move and do things together. Look at what happened January 6th at Capitol Hill in Washington. The collective story there was the election was stolen from, from us. Enough people bought that story. And so they went into Capitol Hill, and they and, and they they were you know they sat, they created chaos and wrecked it and and were hell bent on killing lives and people did get killed. So when people believe the same story, that's how we survive. We believe the same story. The greatest story ever told. You ever seen that movie? The greatest story ever told was the story of Jesus Christ. The story of Christianity. It's a story, it, and people believe that story, and then they followed it. Then, the, you know, the Muslims believe the story of Muhammad and and how the, um, you know, the, their holy book, and I'm having a, a senior moment here, was given to them. You know, the, the, uh, the Jewish faith believe in, you know, the story of how their people were led out of, uh, you know, the desert. So we have these stories. And because we believe in the stories, we have been able to gather, collect, you know, become together and become a force. Neanderthals did not have stories. They did not, you know, sit at the campfire and tell stories of their day. You know, they ate their food, they had sex, they went to bed. (laughs) (laughs) And they did survive. (laughs) And they didn't survive. <laughs> they need the story wrapped in there. Yeah. They should have told stories instead of having sex. I'm telling you. <laughs> anyway, it's a very good read, this book, Sapiens. A lot of people have, have read it. And that, that, that makes me think of how powerful storytelling is. And we have to tell each other's stories you know, in this podcast, we're telling we're telling story. This podcast is a story for people to to hear. And if enough people come together, you know, for your podcast, they will generate some kind of change. You know, whether it's good or bad, that it can bad, be yeah. it could be used for both purposes, like, Jan- like January the sixth. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes, that it can it can be used to make positive change in the world or the opposite for collective to look at the story Hitler told, right? You know, the, the story of the Aryan race of the, you know, of the, the golden race and, uh, and what, and what he did. So yeah, story works both ways. You know, we follow stories. And that power of the collective together following that I remember reading about studies being done of this collective mentality and how for better or worse people will act differently when they feel they have a protection of a collective so work towards a positive change or negatively towards people that they would have loved in any other circumstance but it 
it also, it, it alters, it gives you that bravery and kind of alters the way you think. Yeah, absolutely. Depending how you wield the story. It's like, that's the weapon. It's the story for good or bad. Stories are born out of words. Mm. You know, I mean, you don't have to have words. Well, not, not necessarily, because I'm thinking, you know, uh, visually, you could tell a story without words. Yes. Uh, visually, you could uh, mime a story, uh, you know, for sure. But it's still a story. You know, but the more, more par- most powerful and most common, I guess maybe most common vehicle for a story is the, are the words, telling it uh, in, in, in words. And the most powerful stories are the authentic stories, the stories that come straight from, uh, from the heart. And that means to learn how to open up that space so that you're not afraid. I, it took me a long time to do it. I was afraid that, you, you, you know what the fear is? The fear is if I tell you my story, if I tell you what I really believe in, if I tell you my truth, you're not going to love me. You're not going to like me. That's our fear. And we have to get over that fear. We have to start, you know, stop judging people when they tell you their truth. Yes, that you shouldn't think that way. That how many conversations have you had in your lifetime? Well, well, I didn't mean you shouldn't think that way. That's, you know, your interpretation. But the fact of the matter is they're they are telling their authentic feelings and that you should listen. And like you had said earlier, put yourself in their shoes because when someone is opening up to you and trying to express themselves in that way it it puts you in a very vulnerable position and to be shut down after that can have huge ramifications and then the other thing the the other thing with with that too is that you have to listen but everybody comes to the story or to the point in their own time and you cannot judge that so i'm going to tell you a little story right now my second guru was, was Swami Sham, and I first met him when I, on my 40th birthday, and I flew to India up into, up into the Himalayas, where he, uh, where he was living. In, uh, it, it wasn't exactly an ashram, but there, were, there was a community there, and uh, you went to see him, and you meditated. So one day, we're sitting... In the morning, the, it wasn't too hot by then. It was, it was in the mountains, but it's so hot. We're under this tent, not tent, but this canopy. We're sitting under the canopy, cross-legged, on our cushions. Swamiji's in front of us. There are about 25 people. And we're just like, okay, give me some, you know, pearls of wisdom. I can hardly wait to hear what he's going to say. And so we're all sitting there, zenned out. And he goes, you know, I've been sitting here for 25 years saying the same thing, and you still don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. What? Wise words, though. (laughs) Wise words. And, and, And why don't we 
get it because we all get on the bus at the same, maybe at the same same time, but we get off at different stops. You know, we get and it's, it. It takes time for us, our brains, who we are. We won't we won't understand something until it's time for us to understand it. And that means that sometimes we have to say things over and over and over. As Swamiji said, you know, I'm, I've been sitting here for 25 years. <laughs> you still don't get it. You know, and I, I think Swamiji, I'm still not getting it. <laughs> and that's not even looking at generations and generations of human history that we just keep repeating and repeating and repeating. And it it's true. Everyone comes to it in their own time. And to not to judge people for that. That's right. Not to judge. And they come to it in their own time. And that, and that means you have to keep telling the stories. Keep telling the stories. You know, we need to hear them. And there aren't, there aren't many, many, you know, diverse story plots in the world. The story plot is basically hero has a goal. People help him. People hinder him, her. Where's that goal? That's it. You know, uh, Joseph Campbell, uh, the power of the myth, wrote, wrote about this. So that's what story is. It's, it, it's, it's, and we, we, how many, you know, it, it, we dress it up, we can make it with so-and-so and so-and-so and this and that, whatever. But it's always the same story, you know. We tell it in different ways. And, you know, when we die, other generations will tell it in different ways. And then they'll tell it in different ways. And eventually there'll be some collective stories that will happen that we'll all buy into. So that means we'll shift our consciousness this way through that story. Then we'll shift it that way with another one, you know. It's all wonderful. It's all living. Oh, it, it's amazing to yeah. just look at how powerful it can be and how how a simple <laughs> how it can have that such a simple structure, but how stories have changed so much over time and because it's it's said by one person and not another, and based on their life experiences, it morphs into something else in our books, in our movies, in everything, that there's there's always a new way to tell the story. That's right. And, and, and we have critics, especially in movie, movies, critics, uh, that, that say, well, this sucked. Whereas you might say, what? I really love that film, you know? So that, you know, it didn't reach... It didn't reach that person. It reached me, and I got something out of it, you know? So it's... It's complicated. I think it's a movie called It's Complicated. <laughs> I think it's hard to accept too when you want to be a positive force in the world. Mm. To accept too that you're not you're not for everybody. And and that's okay. That your story, this producer's movie, that <clears throat> excuse me, it's not going to be for everyone but not everyone resonates with you in that way. So that's okay. They need to hear it from this person and we need everybody's different voices to come together. Different voices, different stories, you know, different outcomes that uh, help us all grow. So oh, maybe that's another book, different voices, different stories. 
<laughs> Do you want to leave us with some some words of wisdom for going into that unknown realm within yourself, pursuing that personal growth, that business growth? It is a very, it's a very scary place to be. And I think you have such a great perspective on where it's taken you. But in that moment of fear, if someone is either wanting to step into entrepreneurship, if they're getting that tap on their shoulder, but it feels terrifying to take that step, what would you say? I think, can I just say it in, in two different ways? I think if you want to be an entrepreneur, uh, I did it intuitively, but I also looked at um, my finances. If, if it fails, what can I do? So I asked all those questions. So I didn't do it mindlessly, just, whoa, okay, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. No, I did, I did my homework, thought about it very, very carefully. So consider it, you know, do your homework. Uh, and that means whatever you're selling, whether it's a product or, or a service, make sure there's a market for it. Make sure you've got clients. So do all of that homework. On the other side, some words of wisdom for the soul is sit with yourself. Don't be afraid to be quiet. Carve up some time, even if you have to go to the bathroom and close the bathroom door and just sit on the toilet and, and just meditate. Learn, there, learn how to do some simple meditations. There's so many online. Learn that. Ask yourself, who am I? Who really am I? What are your values? What do you bring to the table? What do you want to change in you? And, and set, set, set your goals for the day. You know, um, a friend of mine, uh, a, a wise woman, taught me the what ifs. So I start my day, I meditate every day, and every morning, and I start my with the what ifs. In silence in my head, I do, you know, what if I had an amazing podcast with Monique today? What if every single cell in my body was nourished? What if my heart beat happily? What if I surrendered to the universe? So I always start, and the what ifs change but the, uh, all the time, but the one thing that doesn't change is what if I surrender to the universe? So that gives space in that day, in this day, for things to come up and for me to be aware of them. And then every night, a wise man taught me this. When I lie down to go to sleep, the last thing I say is my gratitude. I'm grateful for, I do five. And it, it could be something as I'm grateful that I made a great pasta sauce tonight. <laughs> no, it doesn't have to, you know, it just, you have to build up that gratitude muscle. So in the, at night I, I do my gratitude muscle during the day. I do the, 
the what if I set my intention? What if I had a fabulous podcast with Monique? I did that this morning, you know? And then, and what if I surrender to the universe? In other words, you know, get over yourself, Helena. You are not the doer. Let things flow. Things will be fine. Thank you for tuning in and sharing this very special space with me. If you loved what you just listened to, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And I would be so grateful if you left a comment, a rating, and shared with anyone that you feel called to. Sending you so much love and light. Until next time, take care, lovelies.